Thanks for listening to Covenant Church Podcast. We hope that this message is exactly what you need to hear. Good morning, everybody. It was cold this morning, right? I went out to my car this morning and nearly turned around and went back in, except I remembered I was preaching. Oh, yeah. This morning, I want to begin by offering you a definition. A sign is something that points away from itself to something or someone else. And I'd like to give you a few examples from Debbie's and my recent travels. The first example comes from Phoenix, Arizona. And it's not a sign that we see around here very much. It's flash flood area. This sign points away from itself to the possibility that rain that falls in the region around Phoenix will suddenly gather into dry creek beds, forming dangerous rivers that threaten your life. The sign is not the flood, but it points to it. The second example comes from our trip to Iceland, sheep crossing. You ever seen that before? Sheep crossing. This is a warning to drivers about the possibility that one of the thousands of sheep that you see along the roadway will make its way beyond the fence and wander onto the highway in front of you. They are called suicidal sheep. The third example is a sign that you will see around here, actually very near here. It's simply the letter H. Do you know what that sign means? Hospital ahead. If you answered hospital ahead, then you got that correctly. Somebody here today might be able to point to this sign and say, that sign saved my life. But of course, you don't mean it literally. You don't mean that the sign saved your life. Rather, you mean that this sign At a moment when you were experiencing a medical emergency, this sign directed you and pointed you to the place where healthcare professionals delivered emergency care to you, and that saved your life. You see, a sign is something that points away from itself to something or someone else. Keep that in mind as this morning we continue in our still new series in the Gospel of John, the book of signs, and we take up the second of seven miracles that John handpicked for us to consider. Today we, we read about the healing of the royal official's son, and we'll need to keep in mind that a sign is something that points away from itself to something or someone else, for each of these seven signs point to something important about Jesus and what Jesus has come to do for us. And we also remind ourselves that the ultimate purpose or goal of the Gospel of John, according to John 20, 31, is to persuade us to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing we might have life in his name. So let's read John 4, 46 through 54, with these things in mind, and keep thinking and looking for where the sign is pointing and how this story reveals something very important to us about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, 
he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when the son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. This is the Word of God. Well, you know me, I like to give you my main idea right up front so you can know where we're going and keep track as we make our way through. So as I read and reread this passage of the Bible, this is how I would express the main idea here. With just one word, Jesus... The Word made flesh rescues a desperate father's son from fatal illness into the fullness of life. So with that mind idea, I'd like to explore this idea with you in three ways. First, the setting. What was the situation or the circumstance that led to this second sign of Jesus? Then I'd like us to look at the sign itself, or what was the miracle that Jesus performed here? Then finally, we'll look at the significance, or what did the sign mean? How does it point us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's come to do? And maybe we should also ask, why does it matter? What difference would it make? How should we respond to this sign here, now, in a personal and a practical way? So let's begin with the setting. For a moment, we each become investigative reporters who examine the scene of the sign. And we're seeking to understand the who, what, where, when, and how of the situation. The scene is, the, is Cana of Galilee, which John intentionally reminds us is the place where Jesus performed the first of these miracles by turning water into wine. By this time, no doubt, Jesus had performed many miracles here or around here, for we know that John was very selective in the ones he presents before us in the gospel. And no doubt, Jesus' reputation as a miracle worker was growing throughout the region by word of mouth, from one person to the next, from one town to another. Then we are introduced to a certain royal official who is nameless. Just a certain royal official from Capernaum whose son was fatally ill back home. This man was wealthy, well-situated, well-connected. Perhaps an official in the court of King Herod Agrippa, who was the Jewish governor of the region under Roman control. In other words, he was the kind of man who was self-made, self-motivated, self-reliant, a kind of person who didn't feel a need for God and definitely didn't easily ask anyone for help. 
And he would only do so in the most desperate of situations. And desperate he was, for his son was sick, very sick, near death, John says. He found himself in a situation where his wealth and political connections were useless. And like any loving and caring father, he would do anything, go anywhere, speak to anyone, if only it could save his son's life. Though he lived 16 miles away in a city along the sea, this royal official traveled what was known to be a full day's journey from Capernaum, 700 feet below sea level, to Canaan, a thousand feet above sea level. Up that mountain, he climbed to see the miracle worker from Galilee. And the Bible says he begged Jesus to help him. Now, from this situation, John wishes to show us that money, position, and power cannot save you from the worst things that life might bring into your life. There's one lesson, if there's one lesson we've learned from COVID-19, it's that we are not in control of our health and life. And science, it can only take us so far. You see, life is more unpredictable than we thought. We are more vulnerable than we believed. No matter who you are or what you do or how good and pleasant is your circumstance in life, there will come a time when you will discover that you need Jesus and you need him desperately. Next, we want to take a look at the sign itself. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus respond to this moment of desperation? Well, first, Jesus responded with a challenge. Verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. You see, the crowd was treating Jesus like a circus performer. Someone who is a magician doing magic tricks. As one commentator said, they loved the signs, but they didn't necessarily love the signifier. You see, they were following Jesus for what he did and not for who he was, who he is. Imagine if that was the way it was between you and your spouse, maybe between you and your very best friend in the world. You say... Do you love me? And they say, I love you the way you cook. You say, do you love me? Oh, I love the way you work so hard every day. You say, no, do you really love me? And they say, I love the way you make me feel. <laughs> Think of how dissatisfying it would be if you knew you were loved only for what you did and not necessarily for who you are in and of yourself, this is the nature of Jesus' complaint here, that we would seek him, pursue him, follow him, and pray to him only for what he might do for us in a moment of desperation, that we would love him for what he did and not necessarily for who he is. Nevertheless, Jesus responds here with kindness and grace, 
understanding and compassion. He overlooks the royal official's motives and he answers his prayer, but not the way the man expected. He said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go down the mountain from Cana to Capernaum with me. Go down and save my son. He believed that Jesus needed to be physically present like a magician in order to perform his miracles. You see, his faith was weak. His motives were mixed at best. His theology was messed up. And yet, Jesus responds with grace. Isn't that good news? That even when our faith is small, our motives are impure, our theology is not exactly right, Jesus still hears and answers our prayers. And Jesus doesn't need to be physically present to answer our cries of desperation and help. Jesus has already come down. He has already come down far enough to meet us at our greatest point of need. So beyond the challenge, Jesus shows mercy with just one word, go. Jesus transmits his eternal power, those 16 miles, a full day's journey down that mountain from Cana to Capernaum. He transmits his eternal power for the salvation of that boy. In the time it would take you to press send on an email or a text message, Jesus delivered this boy from death and restored him into the fullness of life. Go, Jesus said, your son will live. Then as proof that the miracle actually happened, the official met his servants halfway home and they confirmed that the boy got well at the same moment on the same hour that Jesus declared it. And that is the sign itself. But what does it mean? What does this mean, this spontaneous, long-distance healing of a royal official's son by the spoken word of Jesus? What does it signify? For as we began, a sign is something that points away from itself to something or someone else. So to whom or to what does this sign point? Well, by now, the answer to that question should be a layup, right? Because this sign, like all these signs, point us to Jesus. And this sign tells us something important about who Jesus is. Specifically, Jesus is the Word made flesh. That's a title John gave to Jesus in the very first chapter of the gospel. He is the Word made flesh. Jesus was with God in the beginning when he created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is God in the beginning who created the heavens and the earth. When Jesus said, let there be light, there was light. And so Jesus is the one whose word has power to create, to heal, to restore, to pardon, to give life. 
And so we do well to respond to him in the way the royal official did. In verse 50, the man took Jesus at his word. Because Jesus is the word made flesh, we can believe what he says, everything he says. He is utterly and completely reliable. The gospel of John, the goal of the gospel of John is that we would believe in him, that we would trust in him, that we would rely in him, that we would take Jesus at his word. This sign points away from itself to who Jesus is, and this sign points away from itself to what Jesus came to do. By this miracle, Jesus shows us that he and he alone has power over sickness and health, over death and life. And, and this miracle reveals something about the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to establish on the earth. It's like watching the coming attractions at the movie theater. You know, you're there for the first five or ten minutes and they show you short clips of movies that you can come back and see later at some point in the future. In the same way, Jesus' signs and wonders, as they're sometimes called, are previews of a world to come. They are like the coming attractions of the kingdom of God. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is comparing the difficulty and the hardship of living our lives in this broken, fallen, sin-bound world, and he's comparing that to the world to come, a world that is filled with abundant life that he came to give us as a free gift. The healing of the royal official son is a preview of coming attractions. By it, Jesus is saying, look what I have in store for you if you believe and follow me. Eternal health and eternal life. In the last book of the Bible, the second to last chapter of the Bible, John, the same author of this gospel, wrote these words about the future, our future, if you're in Christ. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now that's good news. When Jesus takes charge of the heavens and the earth, when Jesus assumed his rightful place as king of the universe, the likes of COVID-19 will be gone with a word. With just one word, the word made flesh, 
will banish all sickness and death from human existence and from planet earth and he will deliver us into an eternal season of health and life. The sign of the royal official son points to a kingdom that is coming upon us. A kingdom in which Jesus is seen and known for who he truly is, the Son of God, the eternal life giver, the great physician, the Savior of the world. So how should we respond? How would we react if we believed such good news? I commend to you the response of the royal official and his family in verse 53. So he and his whole household believed. This wealthy, well-connected, well-situated, Self-reliant man was broken and humbled by the trauma of his son's illness. Yet he was also overwhelmed and amazed by the power and mercy of Jesus Christ. Not only did this experience impact him as a man, it affected him as a father. It transformed his whole family. Now, I don't want to sound misogynistic, and I don't want to minimize the impact that moms have over the spiritual development of their children, but I do want to highlight the great spiritual impact that a father can have over his family when that father humbles himself before God. As the son of a single mom, I greatly appreciate the affect the role my mom played in my own spiritual development. But as a father, I have come to realize that I have the opportunity to impact my children in an eternal way. In an eternal way. Especially as I would humble myself in prayer. My kids needed to see me on my knees, figuratively or actually on my knees with an open Bible in my hands, expressing humble dependence on God. And if they would see that, and they know it was the sincere expression of my heart before God, then that can have a direct and personal, eternal impact on their life. So, ladies, if I may, I want to challenge the men and the fathers here today and those who are watching online. Let us step up, men, and let us show our family what it looks like to believe and follow Jesus. For real men are men of God. And finally, as men and women, we can renew our faith and commitment to Jesus this morning as we receive the Lord's Supper together. The bread and the cup, which you will hold in your hands in just a few moments, are signs that point away from themselves to something or someone else. They point us to the fact that Jesus surrendered his health and his life on the cross so that we might experience health and life. 
that he willingly put himself in the same desperate situation as the royal official and his son so that we might experience and enjoy eternal life. As he hung there on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, Jesus offered a prayer request to God. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And in that instant, in the time it takes you to press send on an email or a text message, the Father granted a full pardon to all those who would put their trust in Christ alone for salvation. That's how long it took the Father to pardon us, if you believe in Jesus. So the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion, is a regular reminder to us of the greatest sign of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Just as the royal official's son rose up from his deathbed to renewed life, so Jesus got up from the grave on the third day to enjoy eternal life, which he delights to share with us. So let this be a time of renewal for us as we go one-on-one with God. And let this be a time of renewal, especially for men and for fathers, as we step up and demonstrate to our families what it means to live for Jesus and follow Jesus, to put our hope and trust in the one who can save our sons and daughters and the one who can meet our moments of desperation with hope for the future. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this sign as it points away from itself to Jesus and what he came to do. And we pray that as we approach the Lord's table to receive what has been called the Lord's Supper, that you would prepare us with faith and gratitude. Fill our hearts with reminders of the cross, of the sufferings of Christ in our place and for our sins. And renew us in the hope of his resurrection that he has promised us eternal and abundant life and given us a down payment and deposit on that even here and now. Would you bring us to a place of fresh humility in your presence? Would, Would you remind us of the greatness of your grace and mercy for us? And help us, Lord, in this moment of remembrance and celebration to commit our whole heart to you in your service, that we would live our lives for you because you gave your life for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so a sign is something that points away from itself to something or something else. These are signs, this tiny bread and tiny cup point to something really huge because the little bit of bread reminds us of the broken body of Christ. And the small amount in the cup point to the great value of Christ's blood. That when Jesus died, he died 
for others. He died for us. If you have received Jesus, then you've received the substance of the gospel. These are just signs. There's no value in the signs themselves. If you don't believe in the substance, if you don't believe in Jesus, there's no benefit to you receiving this bread and this cup. We encourage you to receive Jesus instead. But if you've received Jesus, then the value in this cup is immeasurable. It's mysterious. There's something that goes on when we take this bread and cup as Jesus commanded that we do repeatedly over time. Every time we do it, there's something mysterious that God uses this moment as we eat and drink to renew our faith, to fill us with his grace, to be present with us, not physically, but spiritually, and encourage us in a way that fills us for the week and life ahead. That's what the Lord's Supper is. It is the Lord's Supper. It's not the Supper of Covenant Church. We don't own it. doesn't belong to us. It's the Lord's Supper. He is our invisible host. And he is the one who sends out the invitations. And he invites all of you, any of you, who believe and trust in him alone for your salvation to eat and drink and remember him in this moment. Please join me in prayer as we prepare for these gifts. Dear God and Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you so love the world that you gave your one and only son, Jesus, so that those of us who believe in him might not perish but have eternal life. Please use this moment of remembrance to encourage us and fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might live our life that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so the words of scripture say that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread and eat it together. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He gave it to his disciples and said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many to take your sins away. All of you drink of it. On the first occasion when Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples, it says that after they had eaten and received the cup together, they sang a hymn and they went out into the night. Let's do the same. Let's stand and worship and sing praises to God. For more ways to connect, visit our website at covenantdoylestown.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.